you so much for what you're doing, and I'm excited. I pray that you'd give us right now really sensitive hearts and ears, uh, because there, there are occasions in which there are things going on. There's domestic abuse in homes of Christians, and nobody in the church seems to know about it, or no one's allowed to talk about it. And so just need lots of wisdom right now. And I ask for that. I thank you for the way that you, uh, you love and protect. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, it's typical that I need uh, 10 hours to just get this stuff done, so I'm going to really put it in gear and pop through some key scriptures. And again, I'm going to make this document available. It'll be online that you can research to dig in. So what I want to do is pop through some scriptures in kind of bullet fashion and lay down a base layer a kind of trajectory of what the scriptures say about women, particularly Christian women in Christian marriage, and what their rights, privileges, obligations, responsibilities are. Just something that's interesting, sometimes we miss. Genesis 2, uh, when it says that he created the male and female, it's, it's really unique. The husband, the male, leaves father and mother and clings to his wife. Culturally, you'd think it's the opposite, right? Isn't it the woman that must leave father and mother and she clings to her husband? Isn't that how it works in Jewish culture and Hebrew culture? Sure. Uh, any, any basic historian knows that the male stays at home and attaches a room to dad's house and the female leaves mom and dad and goes and moves in there with, his, uh, with her husband and his father. But in Genesis 2, it says the opposite that it is the man that leaves father and mother and clings to his wife. Fascinating. How about this one, uh, Exodus 21? Uh, I bring this up. Please be patient with me as we work through this stuff. We are not Hebrew people. Do you understand that? We are not ancient Mediterraneans, so bear with me. Exodus 21 is spot on in the middle of the Torah. The law of God, the rulings, the teachings of God. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. This is right out of Torah, right out of the law. And it says in Exodus 21, that if a man wants to take on a second wife, a second wife, that's fine. He can do that, but he must guarantee that he gives her three things, food, clothing, conjugal rights. And it says in the law that if he fails to do that, ladies, she has a right to walk. Divorce. It's in the law. Even in this ancient Mediterranean culture, Yahweh himself understood that a woman could be neglected. All right, and built something even in the law to address that idea. Kind of makes us feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Aren't you glad we're people of the new covenant, not the old covenant? <laughs> All right, Deuteronomy 25, another text documenting that a woman has the right to bear children. Uh, Esther, uh, this is beautiful. Uh, girls, raise your hand. Young girls, please read the story of Esther. Notice chapter one, the first high-status woman the first high-status woman to refuse objectification is Vashti, a beautiful Persian princess, the queen. 
refused to be objectified. And when she did, the superior male said, well, this is bad. What if all the other women in Persia, which is now Iran, by the way, all the other women, what if they hear what Vashti does? And all the women kind of rise up in rebellion against her husband. This is bad. We need, she needs to be executed. And, and that's when Esther enters the storyline, and it's amazing uh, what happens. But Vashti refuses objectification. Matthew 19, wives are protected from frivolous divorce. Real quick, there were two schools of thought. By the way, do you think we have schools of thought in modern America? Democrats? Republicans? Gender identity issues, SSA issues, monetary issues, what makes America great again, what's destroying America. You know, we have all kinds of schools of thought. Well, in this, in the New Testament world, you have the, the great rabbi Shammai. Not Shemu, that's a whale. Shammai is a rabbi, really, really smart dude, and he was conservative, and he believed that a woman, or that a husband, has a right to divorce his wife only if their sexual immorality. <clears throat> All right, now the school of Hillel, the liberal school, said a man can divorce his wife for any reason at all. And in fact, it's in the Talmud, the writings, the commentary on the Torah, that if she burns the toast, if she spoils a dish, or he doesn't like the way she looks, he has a right to divorce her. Frivolous divorce. Now, which, side, which school do you think the Pharisees were in on? Yeah, they went with Hillel. And so we have this chronic problem of kind of, kind of serial polygamy where these, these elite males could marry a woman, use her for a while, get another one, use, her, use another one, and then get rid of them. And by the way, in this culture, if a woman is divorced, she is now marginalized, and it's kind of like making her homeless. It's called liminality, if you want a cool word, to be liminal, which out of ancient language means she loses her threshold. She doesn't have a threshold. She can't step into a house. She's on the, she's on the wrong side of the threshold. She's kicked out. She's liminal. Makes sense. And so when Christ teaches in Matthew 19, the original truth of scripture on marriage, he is slamming the door shut on frivolous divorce. He's protecting women at that point. Matthew 19, 13, sensitive to meeting the needs of children, which addresses the maternal needs of women. Luke 7, he permitted intimate worship and repentance by a marginalized woman. She is known as a sinner. Luke 12, women are blessed as followers of Christ. John 4, a woman married five times has a conversation with Jesus at a well. If you weren't here for that teaching on Wednesday night several decades ago, that was a, just a little joke, just a little one. Long time ago, we learned in John 4 that culturally there, there was etiquette at a well. And if you are a male or the males were at the well and a female approached, what are the males required to do? Leave. Because, because the home, the market, and the well is the zone of a woman. They have rights. There are gender rights. She has rights at that well. Males are required to leave. If a male stays, the intention is he's going to ask her for more than water. Make sense? And so Jesus broke with that custom and stayed there engaged in an amazing conversation. Broke, deviated from cultural norms to make sure he could present uh, the gospel to this woman. 
John 8, the woman caught in adultery, uh, protected her from false criminal accusation. That was all a setup, by the way. That whole scenario was a setup. And then uh, Acts 5, a wife is morally obligated to obey God regardless of her husband's actions. Acts 8, uh, examples of husbands and wives facing persecution together. And then uh, Acts 16, uh, women have the right to hear the gospel of Jesus just like anybody else. Uh, Acts 18, Priscilla, the wife, is recognized as being superior to her husband, Aquila. It's kind of interesting when you, based on letter writing convention, if I'm going to refer to Bruce and Janice Trice because we are males and this is a male-centric society, then I'm going to mention Bruce's name first. He gets first billing, right? The only time that that rule is broken is if the female is of higher status than the male. When Aquila and Priscilla are introduced in the story, he is mentioned first, all references after she is. She is. So Priscilla was a high-status female, which means she, was, uh, she had the right to use her gifts. Romans 16.7, another example of husband and wife serving as apostles. Uh, spouses have a responsibility to meet physical needs of each other. But that's significant. Let me tell you why that's important. Uh, Paul could have written in 1 Corinthians 7, wives... Take care of your husband's physical needs, period. In the ancient Mediterranean world, that's all I should have said. Done. But what does he do? Commands husbands to meet the physical needs of their wives. And in doing that, he caused leveling. He caused an egalitarian ethic that there's mutual obligation between uh, the husband and the wife. That is, that is a very unusual idea. Because culturally whether it's Greco-Roman world or the Hebrew world, the, the Jewish world, it was all about the guy getting what he wanted and the woman had to submit and honor that. And so for Paul to do this, he's really creating an egalitarian mutual platform. Um, Ephesians 5, uh, by way of reminder, I covered this some months ago. Uh, when, Paul, when Paul says, husbands, love your wives... That's another example of a cultural absurdity. Men are rarely ever, ever told to love a woman. That's absurd. And, and the word is agapao, which is sacrificial love, agape love, uh, elite love, superior love. Why does Paul say love your wives? Paul is breaking all kinds of cultural rules when he says that. Because among honorable males, who do males love? Other males. And not in some homoerotic way, but in the sense of honor. Superior males love superior males and have an honor code among elite love. And so when Paul says, husbands, love your wives, he's saying, you ready, men? Treat her like a peer male. Soak that one up. You treat her with the respect and the honor that you would give an elite superior male is what he's saying. Love her. Makes sense? All right. Colossians 3. Wives have a right to be protected from bitterness. We're going to drill deep on that one. Let me show you this, this picture, and I'll leave this up for a while. What I want you to get 
I'm sorry, do we need, well, you missed your chance, see? You should have listened to your wife and you would have gotten the picture. Here's what I want you to get. Something that's critical for us is that we think, if we're not careful, we think that there's there's a set of ethics and rules and moral obligations that apply to the Christian body of Christ proper over here. And then way, way, way over here, there's another set of rules and ethics and obligations that apply to marriage. And the two shall not meet. That is absolutely false. That is not even close. In fact, the scriptures teach that husbands and wives and the body of Christ, which really are brother and sister and moms and dads and children, all make up the church proper. Okay? So, in a sense, Lisa and I are husband and wife, but we're also brother and sister at the same time because we are in Christ, right? The same, the very same ethics, morals, obligations that apply to the body of Christ proper on how Lisa and I should relate as brother and sister are identical to the obligations and responsibilities and ethics that apply in marriage. Can I really make this plain? I should treat Lisa the very same way that I treat you. And she should treat me the very same way she treats you. Does that make sense? There's no fence separating them. Right? All right. I'm going to leave that out, but we've got to drill deep. Um, what I want everyone to do is turn to Colossians 3. Turn to Colossians 3. Okay. Colossians 3, 18 to 19. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Do not be embittered against them. Let's, let's work on that word embittered. What does that mean? It's an imperative. It's a command. The word in Greek is pikria. And it means to, originally it means to swallow something that makes you sick to your stomach. Bitter tasting food. Bitter spices or bitter water. And it makes you feel sick to your stomach. The word evolved to also include anger. To be incensed at, to be mad at. Now, when you add the whole Greek construction, the whole clause, this is what you get. Paul is saying, essentially, husbands, stop blaming your wives for something they didn't do. That's what it means. Stop blaming your wives and being mad at your wife for something she didn't do. Now again, and ladies, buckle up. That goes in both directions. Ladies, you have no right to blame your husband for something he didn't do. Okay, let's take ownership of this stuff. But this again, this text is specifically directed to protecting women. Husbands, love your wives. That's a cultural absurdity. Do the radical thing and treat your wife like Christ treats you. 
and don't blame them for things they didn't do. Real quick, men, you do not have a right to take your personal dysfunction, the damage of your childhood that you refused to deal with in a therapy setting or a church setting or whatever, and penalize your wife for it. You do not have that right. Make sense? Don't have it right. Do not be embittered with your wife, but rather love her. Okay, here are some, some conclusions, big, big picture conclusions here, okay? And when I say, ladies, the word right, I'm going to lump into that idea your rights, your privileges, your responsibilities, your obligations as a Christian woman. Number one, ladies, you have the right to never submit to abuse and maltreatment. You have the right to never submit to abuse and maltreatment. In fact, one of the first practical results of the fall of man in Genesis 3 is that Adam blamed his wife. First thing he did. Well, uh, 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 it's that wife you gave me. He ends up blaming her and then decides to blame God too. You have a right to not accept abuse. What is abuse? This is Arkansas law, Title IX, Arkansas State Code of Regulation, 92103. Abuse is defined as any willful infliction of injury, unreasonable confinement, intimidation, or punishment with resulting physical harm, pain, or mental anguish. Ladies, you have, you have a right to never submit to that kind of stuff. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you have friends and family and extended family, and they need this more than anybody. Next, ladies, you have a right to go to the elders of the church to begin the process of confronting and restoring a rebellious and unrepentant spouse. You have that right. And that's not slandering and gossiping about your spouse either. You have a right to come to me. You have a right to come to somebody in the church, the elder team, and say, hey, there's some stuff going on in my marriage and it's bad. And we need to do Matthew 18. You have a right to do that. Uh, Brian's here. Uh, you have a right to go to a police officer and seek protection. Uh, I asked Brian before the service, Brian, what are some of the giveaways when you roll up on a domestic? 60% of the calls I've heard are domestics. A bunch. Yeah, a lot. And you roll up on a situation and the husband's gone and there she is. And she has contusions, bruises, red marks, you know. Uh, those are things that Brian's going to be looking for. The obvious cues, emotional distress, signs of abrasion, etc. And he's got to make a report about that. Uh, now, you and I know that sometimes it's the internal wounds that can hurt the worst. And you can't see those marks. You can't see the bruises. You can't, you can't see the, the lacerations or something. Um, and that's where we come in as a body of Christ or a wise officer comes in. And you learn to talk and you learn to draw things out. Brian?
for options for each of you, but it's hard. Holy crap, you, you would have to leave everything to remove yourself, especially if you're as far along as she is. He might have quit a job, he signed a car over that was <coughs> his name, just was totally taking care of her self-respect. Wow. And, and now she feels stuck. There's no, she feels like there's nowhere to go. Um, I can't help her unless she wants to help herself. And yeah. we got places for all that, but they suck. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. I mean, not horrible, of course, but, but there are places to go, and you would have to take yourself out of, out of, comfort, well, out of an uncomfortable situation into a worse uncomfortable situation, or a better uncomfortable situation. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You would have to, and a different situation. Yeah, but you can always dig yourself out of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's people there to help you, there's programs there to help you in, in yeah. that point. Yeah. And then uh, you have to work yourself out. Yeah. You know, yeah. You can rely on his controlling actions. Sure, sure. And yeah. it may not have been, it may have been subtle, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah. Yeah. Brian, thank you. Uh, pray for Brian. I'm telling you, that guy, can you imagine rolling up on that stuff day after day after day? Woo! And, and you see the big tough man beating up on the little, little lady? Mm. Talk about stress. <laughs> That's stressful. Ladies, you have a right to go to a police officer. Uh, ladies, you have a right to go to an attorney. To protect yourself. Now let's shift to a more positive note. Because that's all pretty intense stuff, right? Let's shift to a more positive note here. You have a right, ladies, to pray for your husband. You have a right to pray. And, you know, I know we're all busy people. And I know uh, if, if you're like me, I start my day real early, usually around the 5.30 mark. And by the time it's bedtime and I lay down in bed... I am just done. I'm just shot. And I, I don't have a whole lot of cortex left to think and problem solve and sh shouldn't be problem solving at that point. And, uh, you know, it's just really sweet to have somebody lift your name up in prayer. Do you know that? Just real sweet. Uh, when a spouse, when a daughter, when a son, when a husband can lift your name up to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good thing. Ladies, based on 1 Peter 3, you have the right to pray for your husband. Uh, ladies, you have the right to serve your family, serve your husband, all in the spirit of Philippians 2, where we consider the needs of someone else to be more important than our own. And that falls under the greater umbrella of the body of Christ. Ladies, this is serious business. You ready? You have the right to repeat the words of Jesus and replicate the ministry actions of Jesus with his heart motive in front of your husband and your children. You have a right to do that. You have an obligation, a responsibility, an opportunity to show your husband Jesus. If there's something I could beg of you right now, uh, husbands and wives, turn to Ephesians 4. Everybody turn to Ephesians 4. I want you to see this. Just a couple of verses. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, 
Speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor. Sweetie, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Honey, what's wrong? Mm. 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 What if a husband and wife would learn to lay aside falsehood? And what if they made a commitment to not let the sun go down in their wrath? And they talked. What if, what if a wife realized that she doesn't have to necessarily fix her husband every time he opens his mouth or, or he's obligated to fix hers every time she opens her mouth? What if you learned a skill called attunement? Every male with a functioning cortex, please write this down. Attunement. The ability to feel your wife's feelings, your ability to think her thoughts, that is attunement. To feel the feelings, to think the thoughts, constitutes the skill called attunement. We have a deep, deep spiritual, psychological need to be heard, to be understood. And when your spouse opens up, Please don't run to fixing them. Feel the feeling. Think the thoughts. Attune in. If your wife is set on FM 98.1, you get the dial and you turn right into 98.1 and leave it alone. Feel the feeling. Think the thought. Ladies, if your husband is 98.5, you attenuate, you tune in. And you literally start to feel the feelings and think the thoughts. And at that point, you become a safe place for him. He'll become the safe place for you. And you get to talk without these high-level emotions, high-level reactivity. And you can actually start working through the stuff. Now, what's interesting is a lot of things we fight with are really high intellectual things like the date on the jug of milk. Drink by, sell by, smell by, what do you do with this thing? And I say, by golly, get another jug of milk. It's just not that expensive. Don't argue, is the glass half full or half empty? By golly, it's refillable. Woo, problem solved. You know, I mean, we get stressed out about some of the silliest stuff that would be easily resolved if we would talk. How about verse 29? Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the building up. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and etc., etc., not even be named among you. By the way, the word bitterness, pikria, the identical word in Colossians 3.19. Husbands, do not be pikria. Do not be embittered at your wife and falsely accuse them. Verse 31, the big body of Christ, let all picria, let it, let it not be a part of your relationship. You are the gifted body of Christ. Men, if we truly understood that our wives have rights, responsibilities, obligations, just like we do, and what if we realize that in loving them as Christ has loved us, we're to extend to them the same level of honor and respect we would give an elite pure male? What would happen to marriage at Christ Church? 
what would potentially happen to the marriage, marriages that you interact with. What a, you know, what, a, what a perfect time for us to hear from the body of Christ. What a perfect time to hear words of prophecy, hear words of mercy, discerning words, teaching words, encouraging words. You're the gifted body of Christ. In view of the needs of the everyday woman in the everyday life, if we were to understand the trajectory of Scripture, how would we live? What difference would it make in our lives if we understood these things? I just want to say that that word attunement was in a crossword puzzle book that I was just going through, and I didn't know what that was. That was the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. <laughs> Janice told me what that was. I'm not kidding. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Attunement. Attunement. Feel the feelings, think the thoughts. Why does this matter? Yes, sir. I say that uh, God has asked men to do, men and women to do an impossible thing in terms of living as one. And from what I've been learning as a husband who's supposed to lead, is so you're supposed to lead, yet serve. So Jesus came to lead, but then he became the lowest. Nobody can get lower than Jesus did. Yeah. And so if I'm supposed to be like him, I can't. Go too low, sir. Married. This is talk, right? She'll tell you it's not reality. I love your honesty. It's not reality, but it's what I've been learning. That the you know, Scripture calls the woman the weaker vessel. So we see throughout the whole narrative of Scripture that God sends messengers in the the weaker vessels, the weaker person, the prophets, the nobodies, the scumbags even, uh, those who are born in the stable, right? And and why? So that the prideful will have to put the pride aside to hear the message from the messenger who is of no account. And I'm not saying women are of no account. Or, or, I'm not saying they are of no account. Right. I'm saying that women... Being the weaker vessel, because we can do men could overpower women, force them to. I mean, that's testosterone. Just world that's just not good. Um, but what God wants is humility, not pride. And so, even in this impossible <clears throat> marriage situation, it has been over the past several years that I've come to realize, and it's really hard to do that when Mary has something to say, I really need to listen. Absolutely, she's not always right. I'm not always right, but. God will have, as I'm learning this, it's become an amazing thing that I received from God through her, but it takes humility. Yes. I mean, you have to humble yourself to receive what God has to say to someone, through people, you just normally not. Yeah, uh, yeah. Someone that you know you could overpower. Yeah. You know that you could dominate. Absolutely, testosterone. So it's about and, and if the guys had the estrogen, the women the testosterone, this all would be in reverse. Right. Absolutely. Because people with high testosterone tend to beat up people who don't have it. That's, that's, the, way, that's the way of the world. Um, so funny story about me and Lisa. Um, I hate being out-psychologized by my wife. <laughs> it's not fair. <clears throat> um, you know, 1 Corinthians 7 says, Husbands, 
uh, your body belongs to your wife. Okay? Wives, your body belongs to him. So one night I said, my body wants something. And she said, well, my body doesn't. (laughs) She got me. I know, psychology, she won. That's called checkmate, by the way. I, I had no comeback on that one. So, uh, You know what? There's just something beautiful about the idea that uh, guys touching on about service. That if I considered Lisa's needs as being more important than my own, Philippians 2, and she considered my needs to be more important than hers, what's the outcome? Mutual gratification. Everybody's happy. It works. That's the way of Christ. It just works. Okay? And so, uh, please, please apply the concept that we are all under the yoke of Christ in the big picture, and that the ethics and morals that apply to the greater body apply, uh, a body of Christ apply directly to marriage, and vice versa. In like manner, uh, please consider the wisdom of just posturing your soul to meet the needs of your spouse. And vice versa. And at that point, there's no neglect. And that means you can't win every time. You can't. And you shouldn't. That's absurd. It means you learn to talk and you learn to share. Uh, I've got an idea just in case you need practical problem solving. For some reason, husbands and wives encounter stress over what restaurant they're going to go to. Well, all right, here we go. Let's just fix it right now. Uh, guys, you just write out your top five <coughs> restaurants. Ladies, you write out your top five restaurants. And the rule is, if you pick one of the five, it's a win-win. You can't say, man, I don't feel like... No, 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 no. It's in the top five list. You go with that. And that way, whether she picks it or you pick it, it's win-win. And you don't have to sit there and get into some emotional, emotionally tense situation. You've all agreed these are the top five. It's win-win. Just go. By the way, trivia... If you're arguing about the restaurant, you know what that normally means? You're not really hungry. Just, just an aside. I just, the psychological mind games are relentless. I know. You're just not that hungry. You probably need to go to the gym anyway, right? The guy said, you know, guy, you said something insightful a second ago. Guy, the only way, you're such a wise guy, the only way that I can really love Lisa as Christ loved me is if Jesus is in me. I do not have it within my ability to love her as Christ has loved me apart from him. I don't believe Lisa has the ability to love me the way Jesus submitted to his father unless he's in her. Because both actions of submitting and sacrificial loving are the two things that Jesus actually did in perfect harmony, just in his relationship with God. So that when Lisa serves, she literally is acting like Jesus. She's not some inferior species lower on the food chain. No, she's acting like Jesus. When I love sacrificially and give myself up for her, I'm acting like Jesus. Both of us together act like Jesus Christ. Make sense?
not rocket science. But it is a matter of the heart. And it is only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we get this. By the way, there was a study done about Christianity. I thought it was brilliant. By a non-believer. And he compared uh, social concepts. And he said, what is unique about the religion of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is represented as the ideal citizen and that if you are like him, you serve other people. When in so many other religions, in some of the major power religions, it's all about you dominating other people. This is a, that is a, a non-Christian sociologist that made that observation. So, if you don't know what it means to give your heart to Jesus Christ, I'll, I'll be back there. Come talk to me. Let's pray together. And, and we'll talk more about it. Uh, husbands, love your wives. Ladies, there's not a single woman in this room that has to take a minute's worth of abuse. Not a minute. You are a woman of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are not a doormat. And you must never let anyone treat you as a doormat. If you do, you have an identity formation issue and there's probably some pathogenic guilt somewhere and you need to talk to somebody fast. If you are allowing yourself to be treated as a doormat, that is a pathology. Something's not right between the ears when you let that happen. Okay? You're not a doormat. Uh, Christchurch, ladies, men, please, Brian, heads on a swivel. Pay attention to the cues. I, 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 I am assured in my mind that there are folks in your neighborhood where you know this stuff's going down. Please, Christ Church, be a part of the answer, not a part of the problem. Invite, like Edie said, invite them out for coffee. Talk. Hey, how's your marriage? Talk. Talk. Okay? I want to pray for you. Abba Father, uh, well, this is where we live. <coughs> And I ask that you would help every man here to love his wife as you have loved them. And I ask that every woman here submit to their husbands identically the way that you submit to your father. And I would ask that you would allow every woman here to know her high position, the dignity that in Christ there's neither male nor female. And that you love her and you are committed to meeting her needs. To protect her. And I ask that you, you teach every woman here. That her soul has as much worth as anybody else's. Thank you for the grace and the sanity of faith and hope and love. And I ask this in Jesus name. Amen.